Good morning. It's great to see you guys here this morning as we are. We're talking about um, a new season here at Olive Ranch. Before I dive into that, though, I wanted to take a minute and uh, let you guys know one of the culminations of this season is that, or, or this launch of this new season, happens in two weeks. And that is there's going to be a membership meeting, a congregational membership meeting that gathers. It's actually after every service. It'll be out here on the left side of the building if it's not raining, out at the uh, picnic tables. And the reason why is we want that to be a little bit more opportunistic area to connect. Now, if you aren't a member, what's a member? How do I know if I'm a member? Membership is, is you've been through the class of membership and that you are currently actively serving in a ministry. That enables you to be called an active member and allows you to approve. Now, what are we talking about? In fact, outside right now at the info counter, you can grab the two things we're approving. First of all, our mission statement is embedded in our bylaws, and we can't change that mission statement to what we're talking about, which is going to be love, live, and share Christ wherever you go. That's what we're talking about in this series. That, that would have to be only approved by the membership of the church. Can't change that just because we want to. And the other thing is that we've, as the elders and the staff, have like looked through very carefully our, our old theology statement and kind of helped to tighten it up and, and, and get it stronger in some areas that we felt like it was weak and clarify some things so that um, every year when the elders and the uh, staff are asked to sign off on it, uh, we can make sure that we're going through ensuring that we haven't changed our theology and we're standing firm and this is your way of saying, yes, we approve of this theological statement. It's a governing check to your leadership. And so we'd ask that you grab that information, take a look at it so that you you're informed. Ask your questions in return to the leadership, like, hey, what's this and why'd you put that? If you have that kind of question and you're a theology nut and you like to get into that, I'll be answering your questions most likely, so go ahead and ask us that. So other than that, we're going to get into this, and I want to say before we jump into any further, I want to say hi to the high schoolers and, the, and all, the, um, all of you guys who are in here this morning from youth. Hi! Can I hear from you guys? Where are you? Whew. So you guys are down here because um, and junior hires. You guys are here because Jared's gone to camp, right? And so he said, "Go down here, listen to Greg, be bored." All right. So hopefully you're not bored. So we'll, we'll dive into this together. But let's pray as we launch in. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to get into your word this morning and be challenged by um, the idea of living for you, of having you, Lord, work in our hearts and our souls in such a manner from our love that we want to live it out wherever we go, to live this gospel in a manner that is worthy of your name. So help us to gather these concepts, build them into our hearts and our lives, that it may come out in our world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I was younger... Um, I, I don't know if they still do it today, but they'd have these tournaments at uh, Riverside in Riverside called the Rain Cross Tournament. They still doing the Rain Cross Tournament? I'm not even sure anymore. But uh, my dad took me to the Rain Cross Tournament when I was in, in junior high. I was going to move into high school, and Corona High had an actual basketball team at that time period. I need a high school blanket or something. But the uh, the reality is that I watched this team, and we were really good. We could never beat North High School. They always dominated us at the Rain Cross Tournament. So we got to watch all the way up to the finals, and I was always excited in the stands watching the, the team that I was going to get to be a part of one day play. And I always wondered, oh, what is it like to be on the court? What is it like to be in the game and to be a part of what was going on there? And um, a few years later, I was uh, at another chance to go to the Rain Cross 
tournament. I was sitting there. And again, this time I had amazing seats, way better than the last time I was at Rain Cross. I'm watching the game up close. I'm getting to hear about what's going on. And I'm sitting, as I'm watching us win the actual whole tournament, I'm still sitting there on the bench thinking, I wonder what it would be like to be in the game. I spent my entire junior year on the bench. Finally, they let me in the last, I think it was a minute and a half. And I got to actually like fall backwards and throw the ball at the hoop over this guy. And I made, and I made the last bucket of the game, but whatever, I still have no real idea what it was like to be in that tournament. And so, but this is the reality of a parable because some of you guys are here at church and you're part of the church. You're here going to church, but you're not in the game. You're, you're not being the church. It's almost like you get to sit on the sidelines and watch other people do ministry. And some of you are in the position where you're going like, I want to get involved. I'd love to get involved. I just don't know how to get involved. And there's this kind of tension that you've watched other people do and and, and be engaged in the church at a level that you only wish you could. And when we talk about this idea of loving and living and sharing Christ, this living portion is something that we do here at church. It's also something that we do out in the world. And so wherever we go, we want to live Christ. But in, in the case of where we're going in the next six months, we're going we're gonna to focus in more on how we do that at church. Now, knowing this, everything that we're going to be preaching over the next, you know, how many years I'm alive and I get to preach, will be about living for Christ. Amen? I mean, that is what the Bible's about, how you live for Christ in response to what he's done for us. And so I could go into like a 12-hour sermon here and we go over them. We're not going to do that. I got to kind of choose to cut some things out. And so just want to take us back to last week and remind us of that mission statement, that we're to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. But love comes first. In fact, the way I'm going to put it this week is to live for Christ, you must live in Christ. You got to love Christ, and that loving Christ is to live in him, to abide, to stay, to remain, to make your home with Christ, in Christ. Now, I can go into the details of what that means, but um, I just kind of want to open up in John chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, grab it so you can take a look at it. It'll also be up on the screens for you, but John chapter 15 is a very interesting section of scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples. There are, he's just left the, uh, the meal in which he's instituted the communion. And so now he's on this journey with his disciples, on his way to the place in the garden where he's going to be betrayed. And he's giving probably one of the most important speeches or conversations with his disciples he will ever give. And in this, he lands on the idea of how to live out this thing we call Christianity. And he defines it in a, in a picture that we'll get into more detail when we hit John 15, but I'm going to give you kind of the highlights. It's a picture of a vine and branches. Verse 1 begins, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that actually that will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
to sum all this up, God intends for each of us to bear fruit. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you do a quick cursory um, kind of exploration of your Bible on what is, how does the Bible use the term fruit, fruit shows up in two ways. In one way, it shows up in good works, in character. You've heard of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. These are the ways that we should live life, and they bear good fruit. They bear good works. It's our caring for our neighbors. It's our going out there and engaging in the good causes, not just to deal with the cause, but to deal with the people, to care and love them in, in, a, in a manner that gets them into better positions of life. It, it's serving each other with the gifts. It's, it's using our finances and, and giving to in, events, institutions, and these kind of things for the betterment of other people. This is good fruit, good living, It's living out Christ. At the same time, though, if you examine fruit, there's another use of it. It's to actually bring people to know Jesus. It's to see people learn how to follow Jesus and be disciples. So when you live in Christ, you abide with him, you remain with him, you're like a a branch in a vine, you're going to live for him and you're going to share him wherever you go. And so this is really a great picture for this mission statement. Because what we're looking at is, is Jesus saying, if you want to live out a Christian life, if you want to have a fruitful Christian life, you need to live in me like a branch lives in a vine. Now, if you've ever been down to Temecula and examined the, um, all the, the vineyards down there and, and seen what it looks like, there's this large stone that comes out of the ground, and that's the vine that come, goes down the trellises all, and the branches branch off of that, and they hang down, and they bear the fruit. And what Jesus has said here is that if you're not bearing fruit, God's going to do whatever he can to get you to bear fruit, and ultimately, if you don't, you'll be chopped off and flung away and burned up. And the idea here is that God longs for everybody who follows him to bear not just a little bit of fruit, much fruit. Have an overabundance in your life. Not to just let God's life soak into you and stay there, but to go out of you and to create something greater. This is that picture of living for Christ. And so what I want you guys to realize is that the more I drift from him, the less I will live for him. Think about it that way. The more I get away from being connected to Jesus and the the vine, the less I will actually live for Christ. And that's why when we talked last week, we talked about loving Christ, living in Christ. We talked about three different things. First of all was your personal devotions. If you're spending time with God, reading the Bible, praying to God, getting to know God in a personal relationship because he's saved you and you have access to God, then, then we're inviting you to say, hey, why don't you just increase that by 10 minutes this year? Why not just push yourself for 10 more minutes in your time with God? Maybe you're one of those like super saints and you meet with God for three hours every day. Awesome. You don't need to add 10 minutes. That's fine with us. You're good to go. But if you're struggling, you're like at, you know, negative time with God because you're so busy. You're like, that's when you intended to do time and you didn't do it. The reality is that you need to just find that 10 minutes in the morning, find that 10 minutes. Maybe it's at lunch. Maybe it's in your car listening to the word of God. Maybe it's just spending time praying. There's all kinds of options to just increase a time with God, 10 minutes. And here's what's great. If you're, if you're a guy and you, you hate reading, they've got the Bible on audio. It's pretty incredible. You can listen to somebody read it to you in lots of different accents. It's pretty darn cool. The only one I haven't found yet is, you know, I am divine and you should divine. That's the only one I haven't found. That would be cool. But, you know, I'd be really interested. Like, wow. The reality is that you have this option to get into personal devotions. Do it. Abide in the vine because the more you drift from him, 
the more likely you are that you're not going to live for him. In fact, another way is maybe you need to have that small group around you. That community that keeps you accountable to being in the word, that keeps you connected. They know you and you know them. And um, we, we challenged last week that if you don't have a community, go ahead, grab one of those unsettled life boxes out there at the small group table, take it with you, launch it with some friends, maybe start talking about what it means to live an unsettled spiritual life. What we mean by that is you're not drifting with Jesus. You're not just like, I'm good with Jesus, we're cool. When you're just coasting, you sat down and waited for the Jesus bus to show up to take you to heaven. No, you're going to keep moving and keep pressing forward. And so maybe instead you're like, I don't know how to form a group. I need, I need to get into a group. Group link's happening after third service today. You can go up there at one o'clock and connect in with some other people. Find a small group to become a part of. And when you have that, you have accountability in life. And lastly is doing what you're doing now. Church. Coming together at church. We've gotten to the point where we're down to about, the average American goes to church about once a month. And what they're showing statistically is that's the best way to make sure your kids never follow Christ. In fact, people who don't go to church have a greater opportunity for their children to come to Christ than those of us who come once in a great while. It's just what the statistics are bearing out, but it's what Jesus has said. Those of us who abide in him bear much fruit. And one of those ways we do that is together where we're using our gifts, we're serving each other, we're taking a very precious time of our week. Sunday morning is a very precious time and we're giving it over to God. And these are those kind of things that we do and I guarantee you, it is, it is true what Jesus is putting here because the statistics we watch and we keep is when somebody drops out of their small group. Because inevitably there's a, there's a drift. They start with their small group then, then, or they start with their ministry. Then they move from their small group. Then the very next thing is they stop really showing up on Sundays. And I guarantee if that starts to happen, your personal devotional time will dry up very quickly because this is a busy, busy world. There's lots of good news to look at. There's lots of sports activities to get involved in. There's lots of business work to do. There's plenty of things that will suck away your spiritual life. And so these are those things that we want to challenge you guys to continue to consider because when you live in Christ, now you can live him out. But really, that is a good question, though. Why should you care? I mean, come on. It is a busy world. And should we really, does it really matter that I live for Jesus? I mean, he saved me. He gave me his life. He's forgiven me of my sins. I've got access to heaven. He gave me the free ticket. I'm good to go. Why do I need to get up and bother myself? Why don't I just sit down and wait for the Jesus bus to pick me up at the rapture and take me on to heaven? Why do we need to get engaged? And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. Because that's the core problem. We have weird ways of answering that. First of all, I want to just put it simply. We live for Christ because he is worth it. Christ is truly worth living for. And there are churches across America, and and there have been times even where I probably led you in a different thought. Where I've kind of told you something like, you know what, you need to serve because, you know, it's, it's, it's worth it. Serving is worth it. Well, time out for a second. That's an odd switch that we do. If we think serving is worth it because we should, or living for Jesus is worth it because you should, when tough times come and service gets difficult, you're going to leave it. Because it ain't going to feel worth it. In fact, I want to challenge that because it's deeply ingrained into you and me as Americans. It's deeply ingrained into you and me as Westerners um, because of a man named Maslow. 
Maslow, anybody heard of Maslow? He's got this pyramid that I think we all had to learn in high school at some point. And the pyramid kind of works where at the bottom, you have your basic needs met. You know, you need food, you need water, you need shelter. And then the next set, or you need relationships, and the next set, or this next thing. And then you hit the top of the pyramid. The ultimate end of all of your needs is this term called self-actualization. You ever heard that? Yeah, self-actualize. Maybe you've been at business conferences where they're trying to tell you to self-actualize. Get yourself going. You need to know who you are and you need to know how you're made and you need to do it because then you will really be you. We heard this stuff in churches. It has very little to do with the Bible. It has a lot to do with self-help psychology. And I want to challenge it this morning because he is worth it. Doesn't always mean it is worth it. In fact, in Philippians chapter one, we get the idea here. Let your manner of life Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And and, and Paul doesn't sit and say, you guys, you need to, I'm going to come to you one day, but because I can't, I'm with you in the spirit. So right now I just want to instruct you guys, live a life worthy of who God made you to be. He doesn't say that. He says, live a life worthy of the gospel. To live a life worthy of what Jesus did on your behalf. But because of self-actualization, we have a couple of problems. You see, the, worth, the word worthy is like a scale. Imagine a giant scale. I wish I had a giant scale made like out of something standing behind me. Imagine the scale is sitting here. And on one side is the life and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he died for your sins, that he loved you so greatly, you didn't have to be right before God before he loved you. You didn't have to do all these religious works and make sure that you're good. No, he just bore your sin for you. And he offered you the grace and the love that you could enter into a relationship with God. Not because you're good enough, not because you got it all figured out, but just because God loved you and wants a relationship with you. And that grace is sitting here, and on the other side is our lives, how we live. And here's what happens. There's, when, when you entered into the ancient world and you made a transaction, our day we pull out money and we pay for whatever the price tag is. No, to de- in the ancient world, what you did is say you wanted some grain. They would take out these scales and set them down and you would take the grain. They would measure the grain out that you wanted and they would sit on one side of the scale and they would take these weights and they would put the weights on them until it balanced out. And the weights would inform them how much gold, silver, copper, or whatever it was that was the the means of currency you needed to give to that person for the sake of those. That price was worthy. It was balanced out. Worth is determined by it being balanced on the scale. When our lives are worthy, we are living lives that balance the scale. They live like the gospel. They live like Jesus. But there are imbalances that are occurring because of the ways that we've learned with self-actualization. Self-actualization can can lead to a weird concept like we've all heard self-fulfillment. Ever thought about that term, self-fulfilled? Fulfill means to fill up something. Have you ever tried to have a cup fill itself? How's that work? And you pour it out and try to catch it. Is that how it fills? I mean, what's in the cup can only fill the cup. When you pour the cup out to fill itself, you just emptied the cup. So what, self-fulfillment doesn't work. Because what you have inside is all you have to give yourself. And you can't give it to yourself because it's inside of you. It's just it's a bizarre thought. Something else has to fill you. 
Something else has to give you that meaning. Something else has to give you that purpose. It can't be self-fulfillment. And yet in the church, what will occur is when we think our lives are weightier than Jesus' gospel, we start measuring. Or when we think the gospel is too heavy and our lives are too light, we'll start measuring it and figuring out if it's worth it or not. And this happens when it comes to living for Christ. Let me give you a simple example. When I was young, I got to actually go for in, high, in high school. I was a senior in high school. It was my only chance to get to go to winter camp when I actually got to go. And I was like so pumped up. We go to Angeles, uh, Angeles Crest, and I'm up there just like, this is going to be so cool. I'm so pumped up. And um, one of the reasons I was pumped up is I could kind of get some time with the worship leader, Mike, because I wanted to be on the worship team. Because I sang in high school and choir, and I got to do musicals, and so I knew I could sing fairly well, and I was like, that's my gift, worship's my gift, yes. And so I'm sitting there literally in the front row in the middle of very loud worship music. If you think this is loud, (laughs) you walk away and your ears hurt. You're just like, that's what they do at camps. So I'm in this raucous, crazy environment, and I am singing as loud as I can. I'm trying to sing over all the mics. I'm trying to sing over everything because I love Jesus. No, because I wanted Mike to hear I could sing. And I'm like, just singing as loud as, and this is how bad it got for me. When it was over, I walked up to Mike, the worship leader. I said, Mike, did you hear me singing? I was trying to sing so loud. Did you hear me? I was like, this is embarrassing, but that's called a diva complex. And a diva complex happens when we step back in the church and we say, this is my gift. If I don't get to serve in my gift, then I'm not going to serve. Check me out. I'm a leader. You know how often I do when I see somebody walk up to me and say, I'm a leader. I have a tendency to go, all right, you can move on then. I kind of like leaders who don't think they're leaders. Because leaders who don't think they're leaders are ready for God to make them leaders. But when we're self-actualized, we know exactly what we are. We did this at another church. We did this well. We da, 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 da. And we don't do anything because it's not worthy of us. That's diva complex. And it's dangerous in churches. In fact, we don't like it when we see it on a stage. We don't like it when we see it in a ministry. We don't like it when we see it in our hearts. But that's what happens when we try to live a life worthy of us and defined by how we think we're made and how we think we should be and not based on the gospel. On the flip side is another situation that I found myself in shortly. I think, I hope I got rid of the diva complex years ago, but you can tell me. But the reality is then I landed in a different problem. I was in youth group. I was uh, the youth director at the time and I had a group of friends um, and we would hang out together occasionally after church. And one of the, some of the times, they would go like, hey, we're all going to go do this. We're all going to do it on the weekend. And they'd go, Greg, are you coming? And invariably, my answer would be, um, maybe. Maybe. And one day, Cody, my friend, stands up and says, that means no. And he gets into the car. Because whenever I said maybe, what I was doing was I was judging all my options. And I wasn't quite sure which would be the most fun yet. And so I was giving it a maybe. You ever done that before? We call it keeping our options open. We do that in church too. You get, somebody invites you to be a part of a ministry and they say, well, would you sign up? You're like, eh, I'll help out today, but maybe. 
You want to keep your options open. Maybe it's more convenient to hang out another time. See, convenience is the other way that we judge whether or not we should live for Christ. Now, in cases at your workplace, in cases outside of church, the diva complex can show up because we think our lives are greater. This is who I am. You can't change me, Jesus. The other problem is that we're just unwilling to go with Jesus because it's inconvenient. And so when all the guys are going to that particular bar for lunch and you know it's going to be inconvenient for you to say no and explain yourself, you go, eh, maybe I'll go. Maybe it's at home and you're trying to figure out how to do family devotionals and it gets a little bit more convenient to watch a television show and you're like, eh, we'll do that. There's all kinds of ways that living for Christ is inconvenient. But when we're after self, we're after me feeling fulfilled, we start judging whether Jesus' life, what he's called us to, is worthy or not. But let's think again about what we're weighing here. You see, Jesus was in the garden shortly after this story about the vine. And as he's in the garden, you remember what he said? He's praying, sweating blood, overwhelmed with, the own, with what is about to happen to him and the stress of what situation is. And he prays to God. He says, God, Father, if there is any other way to take care of this situation, let's do that. Let this cup pass by me. Any other ideas out there? Trinity, we, we got any more ideas? And I guess the answer was no, because he says, not my will, your will be done. And then he goes and he's abused and he's beat and he hangs on a cross. And while hanging on that very cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He forgives the very people who are killing him. Darkness falls over the land and he yells out a strange word at the end, tell Telestai, it's finished. And everybody understood that what was going on here is that this man bore our sins and he paid the debt in full. That's what the word Telestai meant, paid in full, debt gone. He paid your debt, gave you access to heaven. You're adopted as a child of God. He gives you access to God for prayer. He enables you and he loves you right where you are. No matter how many times we mess up, no matter how garbage things get, our love that we've received can't be stopped. And he says, live a life worthy of that. Live a life that gives like he gave. In fact, the ancients used to call it live a cruciformed life. A life that is formed by the crucifixion. A life that gives itself away sacrificially. Jesus put it this way. And he said to them all, his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Right there is the antidote to diva and maybe. A diva can't say, I'm dying, I'm going to deny myself. You see, the diva is after themselves. But Jesus says, you got to set aside who you think you are, what you think you are, how you think you're made. And you just got to serve and love people. If we're going to wait until we think it's time and it's worthy of my time and it's worthy and I'm going to get filled by it, we're going to miss the opportunities God has given us to serve these are the people that when they start living out this kind of cross living, they become the comforters that you know in your life who show up in the worst of your circumstances even though they were at a birthday party. Who step in, even though you, you said, please don't come over, they knocked on your door because they knew you needed it even if you didn't. Comforters are great people. They give of their time in ways that you just can't imagine. And yet they comfort, they stay with you even in the worst of cases. 
That's sacrificial. I don't think they're there going like, I'm here because I know I'm awesome and this is fulfilling to me, so I'm just going to sit with you. No, most people have to die to themselves to go sit with somebody who lost a loved one. It hurts to sit with those who are hurting. You die with them in a lot of ways. And that's right. But it calls us to deny ourselves. It calls us to not just be after our fulfillment. Some of you are great givers, your supporters. You understand that Jesus has said, if you've got the love of God in you, or then you need to be able to give because he gave us his life. How much more should we then give to one another? And some of you are great givers. You give financially, you give of your time, your supporters, and you just pour it out. And some of you have poured it out to the point that it's been sacrificial in your family. You gave up things for the sake of the kingdom in various places and various ways around the world, whether it was missions, colleges, the church. You understood this isn't mine. I want to invest in a greater thing. Some of us, we do use our talents, but those talents don't come out the way we think. We're not sitting there going, oh, I'm talented in this. In fact, some of you are hiding with your talents. Brent said, fill out your talent. You're like, nope, skip. Because something in you says, I don't know if I don't really want to do that. I don't, I'm not good enough. Uh, Denise was one of those people who said, I'm not good enough. Uh, we had our, our lady who had produced our, our uh, kind of our goods that we hand out at our, our coffee table. For years, she moved off to another state. And so suddenly we're like, well, it's either we go to Panera and buy stuff or we go to get donuts again. So we did that for a little while and we don't mind doing that. But um, we love it when somebody gets to use their gift. And, and this lady, Denise, in our church, we, we approached her and we we're just talking to her. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, what did you used to do? Oh, I used to make confectionery. She, she made these treats and things for years. And we're like, hey, we need somebody to do that. She's like, oh, I'm not that good. It's okay. They're amazing. She, like, gathered a bunch of cupcakes, took it down to the youth last week in the rain. And kids are like... You know, they like saved them for Wednesday night. It was awesome. And there was a sign on it for Wednesday. No one touched. And we're like, ah. And and she's blown away that God wants to use her gift. That's not a diva. That's somebody who just found out that God could use them and never knew it. The same thing um, happens when you die to yourself. See, dying to yourself, I don't know if you've ever noticed, it's really inconvenient. Convenience doesn't play into dying to yourself. Carrying a cross around, claiming that you're dead, your life is over. That's just not something that is like, oh, I got time for that. No, you can't say maybe to it. It's either you do or you don't. And Jesus draws this line and he says, you follow me, then you die to yourself. And that dying life is a life that gives itself away. It can't be self-fulfilled when it's self-emptying. And guess what? It's also highly inconvenient when you're in ministry. And when you're caring for people and when you're caring for your, your neighbors and your coworkers, I'll give you a simple illustration about Joy. Joy goes to our church and she's um, older than all the other youth leaders um, at this point. I mean, maybe not all the others, but she's, she's at that age, she's looking at all the young college youth leaders and she's going, I do not belong here. My son's in college. This is ridiculous. I, I probably, and she was saying, I probably should go do something else. This probably isn't my thing. I, I don't seem to fit the age group right. And, and wisely, Jared's counseled her and said, no, no, stick it out, stick it out. 
and Joy found herself over this group of girls and loving on these girls. And one of the girls had, had been kind of having some struggles and some troubles in her life. And um, as is natural at, at that age, and it started kind of crashing in on her head. Her parents kind of restricted her away, kept her from all kind of activities so she couldn't come to church anymore. And Joy just kept texting her. Now, she didn't have to. Here she feels like she's not in the right place. It's really inconvenient to contact somebody you're trying all the time that you don't always see. And she just keeps texting her, keeps caring about her, keeps pouring on her. And, and unfortunately, she got her, the, the young girl got her, her phone taken away and her parents start reading her texts. And they come across Joy's texts. And they look at Joy's texts and they go, oh my goodness, who is this woman that cares about you like this? And she says, oh, it's this lady at the church. And they go, okay, get back to that church. I want you to hang out with that Joy woman a little bit more. (laughs) And Joy got to talk to her about Christ and a relationship has begun there. But you know what? If she'd given up because it wasn't convenient, where would that young lady's life be? We don't know. But that's the beauty of being inconvenienced. It's worthy of the gospel. It's worthy to be inconvenienced as a parent to love your child. It's worthy to be inconvenienced at your work to care for a coworker. It's inconvenient, but it's what Christ did. It was inconvenient for him to suffer on our behalf and die. And so our inconvenience is worthy. It's worthy of that balance. So I want to encourage you guys to live out a life that's worthy like that. To struggle, because here's the paradox. When you do... It's fulfilling. It's so weird. Not always, but it is ultimately fulfilling. And let me ask you, who would you rather be? Stack up your life. Would you like to be the young guy running around going, did you hear me singing? Did you hear me check out me out? (laughs) Would you rather be the, yeah, maybe. Maybe. That means no. Okay. Or would you rather have the reality that Joy and Denise lived out. I don't know about you, I'd rather be a Joy and Denise any day of the week than the diva or the maybe. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, it doesn't work real well. And so this living for Christ happens everywhere. We live it worthy of the gospel. But here at church where I know many of you, most of you are not divas, most of you are not maybeers. Most of you are just frustrated, let's be honest. You want to serve. Many of you in high school would love to be able to be jumping into a ministry of some kind. You want, you want to see God use your life in some way. Amen. Did you know at our church you can be a member at 16? You don't have to wait. You can join the membership class. Become part of the voting body at the church. Because you're important to what happens at church. You are the church with us. Amen, adults? And the reality is there's a problem in our church. Uh, in the midst of this concept, when we, live this out life to, when we live this life together and we live it out together, we are what is called the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's Christ's body doing work in the world. And we are all members of it. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, rather speaking the truth and love, we're all to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, the speaking of the church, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. 
each, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, that it builds itself up in love. Notice what it says here. First is equipped. That's that living in Christ. Being somebody who has your devotionals in a small group. On Sundays, we're equipping ourselves, understanding what God has given us to do, that we're to serve him, to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, serve each other. That's where it starts, not with, well, what am I made for? That comes later. If you don't know what to do, serve God and serve others. Because when you're equipped and each part, that means you, is working properly, the church grows in love. The church grows in in caring about each other and connecting with each other because some of you here don't realize what God is going to do with you yet because you just haven't started with, oh yeah, I'll start somewhere. And the reason some of you are frustrated is because others of some of you are like, I want to serve, I want to serve, I want to do something. And, you, and you've tried, you've, you've contacted people, you've turned in papers, you've done stuff, and you're like, I'm not getting any response. What do I do? Where do I go? Funny thing is on the other side, we'll do leadership meetings with our volunteer leaders and our staff. And we're like, we need volunteers. I mean, that is the number one complaint every time we're together. Where do we get volunteers? We've got to get some volunteers. How do we find volunteers? We don't know how to get volunteers. Because every time they go out, they, they run into a maybe person. And they're like, oh, there's no volunteers here. And they run back. Here's the funny thing. All these people who want to serve are over here and all these leaders who need people to serve are over there. There's this big gap and they can't seem to find each other. I find that weird. (laughs) But it's true. And so in the next six months, we've been talking about this concept called fill the gap. And um, this fill the gap concept is important because what we want to do is fill this gap into the middle. So starting in Easter, we've revamped our membership class. And the membership class will do this. If you you join the membership class, a member, again, is somebody who's engaged at the church and you're agreed to what we believe and you're on board with us on the mission to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I'm in. Well, membership is great. You get in, you lock in, and what we do is we go, here, join this thing called the Fit Team. Automatically signed up for three months. You don't have to worry about where to start. We'll just start you off somewhere. The fit team is a very simple thing. It's the group of people that care for you this morning. They greeted you at the door. They took, they were the ushers who, who helped to uh, receive the offering. They're ones who will hand communion. They're often the guys who are setting up coffee and you never see them. They're the people who are cleaning bathrooms and you didn't know they tried to clean the bathroom. Or they're the ones who are out there gr- making sure your car isn't broken into in the middle of service. That's the fit team. This is the first impressions team. We're here to just care. And it's a great basic spot for many of us to start. Some of you guys are in it and that's your thing. You love it. Other people, you'll be in it. You'll be just kind of like, I'm here, I'm waiting. And so while you're waiting, we'll pull you together in what we call a cohort, small group that you meet together and we walk you through what our core values are, how we want to live out our vision at at church and what we mean by that. But during that, you're, you're walking through a ministry match process, which helps you begin to discern and discover kind of maybe where God wants you to go. And we'll connect you up with a leader. And hopefully by the end of it, you've joined into the ministry that you have a passion for. Now, say you're like, I don't have a passion for a ministry. I don't know where to go. Well, you'll be serving on the fit team. It'll be perfect. You're helping out of the fit team. Guess what that helps the leadership do? If you're on the fit team, you're open game to be recruited to any other ministry. Because <laughs> you're on the fit team going, I want to help out. And so this leader over there going like, I don't have anybody for this. I don't know what to do. Go ask the fit team person. He goes, hey, you're able and apt. Would you mind doing this? And then ask everybody on the fit team until that one person's like, yeah. 
I'll do that. There's a need. I want to love my brothers and sisters as Christ loved the church. Boom, I'm in. And so it's a simple process, but here's why I'm bringing it up now. If we're launching that in Easter, Greg, why are you talking about that right now? Because the fit team needs leaders. There are six teams that don't have captains. The parking lot's just running with some great volunteers. You guys rock, but there's no captain leading the team. There's no captain leading the, uh, there's no captain leading the coffee team. It's just a bunch of great volunteers who are helping out right now. There's no captain leading the host team right now. Uh, Eric is the captain of all these teams at this point, and he's tired. He needs some help, to be honest. And some of you, what we're just simply asking you to consider is either to step up or step in. Step up means you know you could lead it, but inside you're saying to yourself, but I'm not a leader. Perfect. Perfect. Because we really do believe God will lead you, help you. We'll help you. We'll train you. We'll give you whatever you need. We'll be right there for you. But the, the, the step up is maybe you're in ministry. It's time to step up. Maybe you're not in something yet. Just step into one of these so that somebody can step up. So there's no holes created. And it's simple. Outside is, uh, where the, is a bulletin board out there. And it's got the different fit leader, fit leader captain descriptions on there. And if you are like right now going like, the Holy Spirit's poking me, it's very inconvenient. No, no, I'm not made for that. No, I can't see that, man. Okay, so now you know I've guilted you into a situation. (laughs) No, if God's prompting you to be a leader in one of these, just go out there, take a look at the descriptions. There'll be an orange card that's set there. Grab it, pull it out, put your name and a way to contact it and drop it in the bucket underneath that description. And then we'll contact and and work out and talk to you about how that might work and what that might look like. If there's two or three of you, better, because it lessens the weight. It doesn't have to be one person doing it all. So that's just really where we're leading, because we believe we can fill these guys. When we launch it in Easter, and as you reach your neighbors, which we'll talk about next week, that gap will be filled. And you will be able to step in to serving and caring and living it out at church as you're already living it out in your, in your city, at your work, and in your homes. We'll talk more about living it out throughout the year, but that's where we're at right now. And I just want to pray over you guys as you step up or step in in this season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to really be used by you in a way that is strangely fulfilling, that you know us so well, you know how you've made us so well that just by us being in you, dwelling with you, obeying the simple truths of, of loving you and loving others that you suddenly reveal to us what you have for us. God, for those, those of us who are still struggling, would you show us what that first step is? For those of us who know and we're, and we're resistant, God, help us get over that hump and, and step in. And God, for those of us who are struggling, maybe with the diva heart or maybe with the maybe heart, God, would you help us get over it? And just to be after you, no matter if it's inconvenient and no matter if it's not even what I'm made for. We just love you. And it's from that love that we want to respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.